Alrighty. Well, welcome again to H2O. So glad that you are here. And uh, I'm just so thankful for uh, Lauren Stewart's story, uh, knowing her when she was a freshman and her coming in as a, uh, a young person there with one of the craziest stories that I remember. Um, if you're listening online, please click on Lauren Stewart's story just to hear the amazing um, response that she's had to her life and her coming into East Hall. She was in our life group and just seeing her bringing all these people to our Bible study. I mean, that first year, I think she brought like 12 girls from her floor to our life group. And to hear about her roller coaster journey with God and what she came through and now going on the church plant with us to H2O Toledo and marrying Tom. And Tom is one of our commission ministers up there in Toledo, one of our pastors in training. And they have just put in so many hours, countless hours into planting our churches and helping our churches. And so I'm just really thankful for Lauren. She's one of my, my heroes and appreciate her doing that video for us so much. And we asked her to do that because it fits in so beautifully with our story today, Joseph. If you want to turn in Hebrews, it's just one verse, Hebrews 11:22. We're going to be talking about in our Hall of Faith stories here, Joseph and his amazing journey with God and how that points us in this beautiful way to the fact that God is in control. And God is moving us in this direction that's going to glorify him. Even though our circumstances don't always show that to us or reveal that to us, we can trust him and hope in him. And we hope that through this redundancy of all these stories, if you've been with us these last few weeks, uh, you're knowing this redundancy. And sometimes the Bible does that so that we kind of hear that repetition and we understand that, wow, okay, there are good reasons for us to have faith. And that's really what each of these Old Testament stories are telling us. And if you're just joining us here today and you're thinking, I don't understand what the Hall of Faith is in Hebrews 11 or all these Old Testament things, that's okay. You're going to be caught up by just knowing that the, the time that Hebrews was written to these people, they were going through hard times. They were doubting that their faith was in something substantial. And they were starting to waver. And the author is telling them through God's inspiration, no, you can keep having faith even though things aren't looking well right now. We have a God that's trustworthy even in the valleys of our lives. And they're looking back at all these other stories. And this is a very story-driven one that we have today with Joseph. We're going to cover like 13 chapters in a very short amount of time. And when you see Joseph's life, we're going to say, wow, God is so good. He isn't letting us down. He is a faithful God that's helping us. So as we jump in here to Hebrews 11, let me pray for us that God would speak to us, that God would speak to you and to your heart in a, in a personal way and, uh, and just highlight this big picture idea that Joseph had from God with his life and how that can apply to our lives. So let's ask God to bless us in that way. Lord, we all come to you today from different places, from different trials and different stories. And Lord, we need you to remind us of the hope that we have in you. Lord, I thank you that you can speak individually to each of us through your word, and you, you long to do that, and we long to hear from you, Lord, to walk out of this place with hope and with more intimacy in you, a little bit more knowledge of what you're doing in our lives and God, as we pray this, we're going to pray 
Lord, that we would just agree with you. That we would come alongside whatever you're doing in our lives and we would surrender to that and we would, we would believe that you're doing something great with a bigger purpose. Help us to see that through Joseph's life. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so interesting here in Hebrews 11 that all that went on in Joseph's story, which we're going to try to highlight all these bullet points today, that this is the verse and this is the reference that it talks about. So here we go. Hebrews 11, chapter 22, it says this. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Okay, that's the one verse that we have on Joseph of all of his life. This is the reference that we have. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, what in the world is this talking about? And let me give you hundreds of years of history here in this short little part. Is that Joseph, as Afonso shared last week, the son of Jacob with his 12 brothers, were in God's area there in Israel and in Canaan. And he's shipped off to Egypt for this period of time. He's sold into slavery and taken to Egypt, not the place that's promised to them, not the location of where Israel is today, not the land of Canaan, but over there in Egypt. And because there's this famine and things go very wrong, the whole family has to come to Egypt to get food for their physical salvation. They're there for years. They become slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. But he had faith that God was going to bring them back to the promised land, even though it was many, many years later. And when they were in Egypt, as Joseph is dying, he says, hey, when God brings us back to the place that he promised, will you bring my dead bones with you? He had this faith that when he was dying, that the promises that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they were really going to come true. Maybe not in his lifetime, but they were going to happen. And he said, when you go, when the exodus happens out of Egypt into God's promised land, bring me with you. What incredible faith in God's big picture that we see in this one verse. So what is happening here? We're going to just jump to the end. Joseph's life is Genesis 37 to 50. And we're going to jump to the very end here to kind of just emphasize what's happening here. So in Genesis 50, starting verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. As I mentioned, they all eventually moved to be with him in Egypt. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. All the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knee. So he had many grandchildren uh, here with him. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. God's going to do this. Take me with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And we're going to fast forward many, many years 
in Exodus, I don't have the verse here, but in Exodus 13, Moses is leading the people out of Egypt. All the plagues are coming on Pharaoh saying, you are going to let my people go. You're going to let these Israelites go back to the place that I promised. Pharaoh stubbornly says no over and over and over again. But Moses, with these plagues that God is placing upon them, he finally relents and they're leaving Egypt. And in Exodus 13 it says, they packed up their stuff and Joseph's bones and they left. And they went back to the promised land. Wow, what incredible insight through Joseph's life. What an incredible promise that God gave his people that he actually brought to fruition. And what an incredible lesson to us of God leading his people in this big picture. And therefore, you and I today, in our difficulties, in our roller coaster lives, in all the circumstances that we're going through, we see these stories, we hear these stories, they resonate in our hearts and say, man, maybe God has a plan for me too. Maybe God is in control in my life and he's leading me to good places. So here's the big idea for today. Joseph's life reminds us that God is in control and he has a plan God gave Joseph these dreams and these insights to see the big picture. And I just love reading about Joseph's life. He's my favorite Bible hero. My oldest son, Dominic, when we got to name him, I named him Dominic Joseph Party. I gave him the name Joseph as a middle name because I love his life. I love that even though he had all these difficult circumstances, he just seemed to respond to God. He agreed with what God was doing. He didn't live a life as a victim in bitterness, in doubt, but time after time, he believed these dreams that God gave him. He believed the insight, and God gave him this ability to see the big picture. You know, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, that's such an important theology for us to have living in our hearts. And what that means is the providence of God or the sovereignty of God is that he is in control and that he has this plan that he's executing. Millard Erickson says in his Christian theology book, I'm going to give you a little bit of theology here in some theological terms. We usually say like the big picture of God, but in theology they talk about the providence of God. And it says this, the providence of God means the continuing action of God in preserving his creation and guiding it toward his intended purpose. Preservation means that God maintains the creation that he brought into existence. We believe here at H2O that God created everything that we see. God created it with a design and God created it with a plan. And God did not just create everything and then sit back a million miles away with his arms crossed just letting this world go but that he created it with a purpose and that he's still involved. He's preserving this creation. He's holding it together and he's moving it in a direction that he wants it to go. As we read on in this theology book, it says this, the government, kind of the maintenance of that. It says the government means that God is actively engaged in achieving his purpose in his creation and that that sin cannot thwart those purposes. 
Now, if we just pause right there and we think of our own lives, we may often be tempted to think that our own sin can mess up the overall big picture of what God is doing. And we can become hopeless thinking, I'm too broken. I've sinned too many times and I'm so far off track that God doesn't have any you know, plan for me. I've already messed it up. And I've shared Jesus with people, and maybe you have too, and they say, I'm too far gone. God doesn't want me anymore because I've just messed up my life too much. And this theology that we believe of God's sovereignty, of his providence, that he's, he's managing this, is that God still has a plan for us. No matter how much we've tried to mess it up, even though those consequences do take us off of God's path or his plan, even though sin happens to us, and maybe we've been very hurt by people, and the sins of other people have damaged us, and we feel like, man, maybe this isn't in control. Maybe this has gone too far, and this isn't what God intended, and I am not going to be able to fulfill the promises that God had in my life. We believe the Bible says no. God is still working things out for us. And we see that so clearly in Joseph's life, which we are going to jump into. The sin that came against him mostly came from his brothers. He had a very broken family. And we're going to jump back now to the beginning of Joseph's story in Genesis 37. And we see very early on that Joseph had this big family of brothers. His, his brother Benjamin wasn't born yet. But he's eventually going to have 12 of them, the 12 tribes, okay? But there's these 12 brothers. He's the 11th out of 12. He's got these 10 older brothers, and they hate him, and they're jealous toward him because the father, Jacob, showed favoritism toward Joseph. The father, Jacob, or renamed Israel, gave him this coat because he favored him so much, and the brothers resented this. They resented the favoritism and they resented this coat because it represented their father's great love for them and they felt for him and he, they felt very left out. So we're going to jump into verse 3. Here's what it says. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than all of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to them. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? They're mocking him. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Joseph actually had two dreams that were the same thing. That his brothers and his parents were going to bow down to him. Now that's kind of a cocky dream to kind of share with your family, right? He was setting himself up for some, some torment, right? I grew up with brothers. I've mentioned this to you many times. I have five brothers, and you don't want to brag too much or kind of set yourself up. Here's a family. Here's my family photo, okay? Speaking of coats of many colors, check this out. 
I'll let you sort out for a moment which one might be me, okay? But we were actually together yesterday for a little gathering, and we were making fun of this because of these vests that we're wearing, okay? These matching horrible vests. And uh, I'm this one right here in the front with the blue. I, I, I seem to be the only one that's kind of happy about this. I just love this vest. This is my younger brother, John. I think he's laughing at us and mocking us because he didn't have to wear one of these. And um, we were asking my mom about this photo and uh, kind of making fun of those horrible patterns that are on there and those very basic patterns. And then she said, well, the reason that you're wearing those is because your 100-year-old great-grandmother knit those. And then we just got really quiet and serious all of a sudden, like, oh, sorry, great-grandmother. Um, so my mom said, yeah, she knitted these for you, and I had to take a picture and send it to her that you actually wore those, and then I let you tear those off right after the photo was over. So anyway, you can take that uh, funny picture away. But I've shared some stories with you about my brothers and how fun it was growing up, but it was filled with conflict too and fights. And, you know, the one brother does something and the other brother has to up that and there's these revenge things and all kinds of stories. Most of them are funny. Some of them are cruel. But if you grew up with siblings, you know that that can be filled with conflict at times with the fun. Well, Joseph's family with his brothers was much more dysfunctional than that. His brothers really hated him and they took it to a whole new level. So what happens is we're going to move forward into chapter 37 and the brothers are out there taking care of the sheep and the dad says, I'd like you to go out and check on your brothers. Joseph's going out to see them and as they see him coming from far away with his cool multicolored coat on, they decide they're going to bring harm to Joseph. So in verse 19, it says, here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brothers and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood, his brothers agreed. How funny that Judah is the voice of reason, right? Judah's the merciful one. Let's not kill him. Let's make some money off of him, okay? He seems to be like the merciful one. He is our brother, so let's just throw him in a cistern, which they did. They waited for these Ishmaelites that they saw coming off in the distance, and they decided to sell him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. These brothers had hatred in their heart, and they said, there's no way that someday we're going to bow down to him. So we will take things into our own hands. We'll take control of this situation. We will kill him, and then we'll see what's going to happen. When we don't like what God maybe has planned for us, when we don't maybe like where things are going, we are very tempted to take things into our own control and into our hands. And that's what their brothers are trying to do. But little do they know that this is part of God's plan. 
So to fast forward this, they sell Joseph to these Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take him to Egypt. And at this auction of slaves, Potiphar, who is an official in Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, has this official named Potiphar, and he buys Joseph to be his assistant or to be his slave in the Pharaoh's house. And Joseph finds himself in a faraway land. At the beginning of the story, it says he's about 17. He's this young man in a foreign land without his father, without his family, not knowing the culture, not knowing the language, and he is a slave. But Joseph responds with such faith. He responds with such a great attitude of what God is doing. He actually serves with a great heart. And he serves with all that he can. And he's so blessed by God. He finds so much favor that he becomes a leader in this household. And in in Genesis 39, it goes on to talk about the favor that he finds in Potiphar's house. He thrives. He blossoms in a very difficult place. While he's in this house, he's this handsome young guy, and the person, the master that bought him, his wife starts hitting on him. His wife is begging him to sleep with her. And it says day after day, she is relentlessly tempting him. Come and sleep with me. He's under great temptation. And when I'm trying to imagine what Joseph's life would be in that place, when many of us could just make excuses We could say, man, I'm in this place. I don't deserve this. I've got some entitlement to some kind of joy, some kind of pleasure in my life. This woman just keeps hitting on me. I'm just going to go and sleep with her. But still, he says, no. I've got my eyes on God and not my circumstances. And he doesn't sleep with her. She becomes so frustrated that she accuses him of rape. And we see Joseph's amazing response and his, his, his attitude toward God in Genesis 39, verses 9 and 10. He says to this woman, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He doesn't even say against Potiphar. He says, I don't want to sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He tried to avoid her at every cost, and she became so frustrated that she accused him of rape, and he is thrown in jail. He's falsely accused. He's done nothing but blossom and try to bless this house and he finds himself falsely accused in jail for a sexual sin that he did not commit. And as we just pause in this story because we're going to keep going with this roller coaster story, I just want to point this out. That when circumstances don't go our way, we are tempted to doubt God's sovereignty and make excuses to enter into sin. 
I want you to just ponder that in your heart for a moment. The things that happened last week, the things that happened this coming, that will happen this coming week, we are often confronted with temptations in our life, and every one of us is subject to say, well, maybe I deserve this. Maybe I'm going to sin right now because God isn't here. God has disappointed me. God isn't following the plan that I thought he should have. And we sing these songs that say, God, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. And then we, we make that our plan. God, I have my plan, and I don't want you to let me down with the plan I have. And God says, no, we're not going according to your plan. We're going according to his plan, and he's not going to let us down from his plan. And when his plans and our plans don't match up, we're tempted to sin. We are more vulnerable to take things into our hands and in Enjoy the pleasures or the sins, the temporary pleasures of this world and sin. And we need to come before God and say, I'm in a vulnerable spot of doubt right now. But God, I need you to help me. I need, me, I need you to help me agree with your plan. And that's what Joseph does. And he's in jail. And what does he do again in jail? Just like he did in Potiphar's house? He serves with a great attitude. He serves with all of his heart, and he rises up in the jail as a great leader. And the leader of the jail trusts him so much that he gives him tons of responsibility. And the, and the, the jailer says, wow, the jail has never ran better than when you are here. Surely God is with you, because everything you're touching turns to gold. And he rises up in the jail and serves the Lord, even though his circumstances are difficult. And we just need to fast forward through this because there's so many chapters. And what happens is Pharaoh is mad at his cupbearer and his baker. One of these has committed a crime against Pharaoh, and they go to jail. And they're in the jail with Joseph. And Joseph has another dream because God has gifted him with these dreams and these visions of what's going on and he tells the cupbearer and the baker, I know which one of you is guilty, and you're going to be punished and killed. And the other one that's innocent, you're going to be freed, and this is all going to happen in a few days. And they're just amazed. They're blown away. And what happens is it comes to fruition. And Joseph says to them, when these things happen and you go back to Pharaoh, Will you remember me? Will you tell him I'm here? I'm in jail. I'm feeling very isolated. Will you tell him I don't deserve to be here? And in verse 20 it says this, Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. This is after Joseph interprets these dreams. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. The cupbearer was blessed. He's restored. 
He remembers Joseph's dream. He says, yes, this actually happened. It was the baker that was wrong. It was the baker that was punished. He goes back, but he does not remember Joseph. And again, we pause in this story and we just ask these questions. Man, sometimes I feel forgotten in life. Maybe sometimes you feel overlooked in your life. Have you ever experienced times like that where you feel like you're taken for granted? That maybe some relationship, maybe some job situation, maybe something that you've done and you were looking for credit. You know, when you're in college, you're thinking about, man, I want to I excel in this way, or I want to have this relationship, or I'm graduating, and I'm hoping to get this job, or I'm serving in the church in this way, and I, I want some attention. I want to be remembered. People are going out and doing things, and I want to be included. And then we have, you know, jobs, and we get into situations where we want to be promoted, or we want to be included, or we're pursuing a family, and in our marriage, and our kids, and older on in life, and we're, we have these prayers, and we're asking God, God, will you bless me in this way? And it doesn't happen, and we can feel forgotten. You know, the Bible tells us over and over again, you're never forgotten. From the time you were in the womb, God remembers you. He knows you. He has a plan for your life. I love this passage in Acts chapter 17 because it says that you and I were actually born in certain places at certain times so that we might come into a relationship with Jesus. Here's what it says in Acts 17 verses 26 through 28. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God sees you. He's seen you your whole life. He's mapping out this plan. He's rolling out this carpet that you might be in a relationship with him. That's what it's all about. It's not about the earthly relationships. It's not about the money. It's not about who you marry. It's not about all these other things that we worry so much about. All of it is pointing you to have a deep relationship with God. That's the plan that we might live in him and move in him and find our identity in him. Romans 8 says it so clearly. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, you and I are in this spot that Joseph was in and all of these people of faith. God is calling you. 
God is calling you to agree with him, to walk with him, to respond and love him back. And then it says we are to respond to that. So it's kind of this crazy paradox of this predestination of you being called, but then it says you and I are needing to respond and say, yes, God, I want to walk with you. I am not going to live a a life of, of stubbornness against you. I am not going to disagree with you. I am not going to fight you every step of the way. I'm going to surrender and walk with you. Because if you died for me to forgive me of my sins, you didn't even spare your own son, Jesus, to die for me. Wow, what other response could I have but to love you back and receive Jesus so that I might enjoy all the blessings that you have for me. And that's why I love Joseph's story so much. He just kept responding in this way. As we move on to chapters 41 through 45, where there's more dreams, there's more time going by, there's more patience on Joseph's part. He finally gets released from jail when the Pharaoh has a dream. The Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, has this dream and he cannot interpret it. None of his people can interpret it. He can't sleep because he's so upset. And he says to someone, can anybody interpret this dream? And someone says, hey, there's this guy in jail. Now I remember Joseph. Maybe he can help you. They go get Joseph out of jail. He comes and Joseph says, I don't really interpret dreams. God interprets these dreams. And I will tell you why God gave you this dream. Because God is this loving God. He's a merciful God. He wants you to know what's going on in your life right now, Pharaoh. So I'll tell you. He tells him this long dream, which I don't have time to go into. But he pretty much says that we're going to have a lot of wonderful fruit and great Uh, produce from all of our farms for seven years and it is going to be an abundant time it's going to be wonderful pharaoh for seven years but at the end of those seven years it's going to be drought it is going to be famine it is going to be horrible and god loves you and he loves these people and he wants to spare them from physically starving and dying And that is why he gave you this dream. Pharaoh just knows it's true. He says, Joseph, I'm now pulling you out of jail and you are in charge of all of the food in our country. Joseph says, I got this. God's got this. He saves up food for seven years. He saves it up in all these bins. They, they, They build these big storehouses to save all the food. And it happens just like God said. Tons of produce, way more than they need. And instead of eating it all up and wasting it, they save it for seven years. The end of the seven years come, it's incredible drought. The people of the world don't have the food they need. And what do they do? They start coming to Egypt for grain. And back in Canaan, Jacob, his dad, who thinks Joseph's been dead all these years because his brothers came back with his bloody cloak. They ripped the cloak off of him, dipped it in blood, and went to the dad and said, Hey, Dad, Joseph got eaten by a ferocious animal. He's dead. Jacob's weeping. 
All these years have gone by, and he thinks Joseph's dead. And Jacob says to his sons, I hear that they have grain in Egypt. Why don't you go and get us some food so that we might live? And I am leaving out so many parts in this story, but it's okay. They go to Egypt, and they bow down before Joseph, who's older now. And he looks different. And he's probably got some things on his face and this ornate thing. They don't recognize that it's Joseph. And they come and they bow down before Joseph. And he's got a different name because they don't name him Joseph in Egypt. They have some different name. And God's promise comes true. We see this timeline, this little roller coaster life of Joseph the hills and the valleys that many of us experience in life, going from the favorite son to slavery, Potiphar's household to imprisonment, the prison manager, ongoing imprisonment, and now he's second in command. Wow, what an up and down life that God was sovereignly leading the whole time through his providence that he might save the Israelites, that he might save his people and bringing them to Joseph's place where they bow down before him to get this food that Joseph has saved not just the lives of his family by interpreting this dream, but by many, many people. Through this emotional reunion, and you can read this through the chapters of, of 40, Joseph excuses himself many times when he sees his brothers to just weep. He's just weeping. He is overcome with emotion. All of this difficulty that he's gone through in his whole life, the light is on and he finally sees, wow, this is what God has been doing in my life. And he keeps leaving the room to just weep. And he finally comes before his brothers and he says, hey guys, he takes off whatever he's got on. He says, it's me, Joseph. Obviously, they're terrified. We're dead meat, you know. Payback is going to be horrible here. And Joseph forgives them, and he loves on them. And later on, we see the forgiveness of Joseph in chapter 50 when he's dying because he forgives them. He brings the father and all the people back, and he takes care of them, and everything is going great. And when the father dies... The brothers think he's going to seek revenge. And so he says this in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins of the wrongs that they committed treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Again, it's an emotional time. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. This is again, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Wow, what a response. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good 
to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You see, seeing God's big picture helps us forgive. Just like Joseph saw this big picture of what God was doing, he said, I know what you guys had in mind, but I understand what God was trying to accomplish. I'm going to skip down to just talking about how Joseph relates to this image of Jesus. Because this is all part of the big picture. Not only does Joseph give us hope, not only does Joseph teach us this theology of God taking care of us and the sovereignty of God, but it also is this forerunner for Jesus. Because many times in the Old Testament, these pictures point us to who Jesus is. And this Christ-like figure with Jesus and Joseph, both of them, Joseph and Jesus, were these beloved sons They were rejected by their own people, betrayed for money, just like the brothers sold him off to the Ishmaelites. Judas betrayed Jesus for money. They were both falsely accused. They were both presumed to be dead. And they were both vessels for salvation. So Jesus' life is the fulfillment of these many prophecies in the Old Testament that we can believe that Jesus really was the Messiah. Jesus was this salvation come to fruition. Not a physical salvation like it was with Joseph and the grain, but a spiritual salvation for our souls. Seeing all this goes on reminds us of just God's sovereignty. And Charles Spurgeon says this, When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. When you and I are going through trials and we see Joseph's story, we see many of these people in the the Bible and we're reminded of God's sovereignty, it can be something that brings peace to us. That when we lay our head down and we don't know where things are going in our life, we can say, I believe that God has this. I believe that God is leading me and that will help us trust in God's plan for our lives. That's really the end of this. And what I'm going to pray for us right now is that you and I would trust in God's plan for our life and we would agree with what he's doing in our lives. Even though it's hard, even though these things we don't always understand, we can agree with what he's doing. Let's pray for that.